Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, fire, combustible material, an album that bangs eternally. And today, we are revisiting together the hip-hop album that helped put the ATL on the map, celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, Outkast's Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music. Big Y on my left, Andre's on my right. Tight like highways, smoked out our way. Now play your knees, bitches, is my favorite spot, but ain't no gang when they be calling your name. Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music was the pick of our guest, DJ Rashida. Before I go any further, let's begin with this. Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music is 25 years old. Yep, 25 years old. And if you're thinking to yourself, can that be right? It can and it is. This album was released April 26, 1994. Beyond introducing us to a couple of young, smart wordsmiths, an Aquarius, Antoine Big Boy Patton, and a Gemini, Andre Dre Benjamin, Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music let us know that in the Peach State, in the Empire State of the South, there were different Atlantas. Outcasts in them represented the Swats, where the official sound was a lot like Crown Royal. Brown and potent, slow going down, familiar at cookouts, and wrapped in velvet. All told, 17 tracks out of the 30 originally recorded made the album, released by LaFace Records as their first hip-hop act. And from the clarion horn that started it, to the reprise that finished it, Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music smothered us good with its aesthetic. Funky instrumentation, skits and social commentary, clever banter and bars from two dudes young enough to be my brother and country enough to be my uncle, who repped the 404, where the scene was so thick. Lowriders, 77 Sevilles, L-Dogs, none but them lacks, and all the players. Like so many of the rap albums in the early 90s, Southern shouted out the green, but this wasn't the chronic. Less $20 sack pyramid and more crumbling herb and talking about the pyramids, this album was for folks fluent in Black Love and Boone's Farm. For folks that knew folks with names like Sleepy Brown, CeeLo Green, Big Gip, Big Rube, and Peaches. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the production. It's so soulful, parliament funkadelic, sonic lemon pepper wet, it's hard to believe that Rico Wade organized this noise on a $15,000 advance. Proof positive that sometimes less ends up being more. Much more. But before I go any further, let me end with this. A careful track-by-track rebump of this album will reveal that it's likely two shades deeper than you had originally thought. And that good things happen when air signs get together thus Equimini, and that this album was actually a funky introduction of how nice they were. And finally, that most of us didn't know then that this album would spark a 25-year career in the game, six albums, 17 Grammy nods, and a 13-year wait since the last. All good, though, or rather, ain't no thing but a chicken wing, because Andre was right. The South had something to say, and we heard them the first time loud and clear, saying, Welcome to Atlanta. This is Outcast. This is Southern Comfort. And this is a heat rock. Big cry on my lips, Andre's on my mind. Back like highway, smoked out our way. Big cry on my lips, Andre's on my right. Back like highway, smoked out our way. Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music was the album pick of our guest today, DJ Rashida. Though a Los Angeles native, she got her start on the ones and twos while living out in the ATL in the late 1990s. And upon returning back to the Southland, she began tearing things up with everything from a residency at the House of Blues to being the house DJ for MTV's America's Best Dance Crew to years spent on tour as the DJ for one Prince Rogers Nelson. Most recently, Rashida was on the road with Bruno Mars as part of his 24K Magic World Tour, and we managed to catch her back in town. Rashida, welcome to Heat Rocks. Thank you. Why did you want to talk about Southern Playlistic Cadillac music? What is it about this album that makes it a heat rock for you? Oh, man. Well, first and foremost, just musically, lyrically, it's like you were saying in the intro. I mean, it is 
highly combustible. It is pure fire. And uh, it came out the year that I moved to Atlanta. Um, I was 13 going on 14. And it was a total um, culture shock for me moving to the South. But this album, well, not only did it kind of encompass the new world that I was living in, but musically, I mean, it was everything that I was already into. It was super funky. It was conscious, you know, and it was hip hop, which at the time, I mean, it had only been a few years since I had started owning my own records, my own uh, albums. And yeah, and this CD is like probably one of the first ones. Yeah, one of the first ones that I bought. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, as, as far as like getting my own music. So all the way around, it's it's just it's a big record in my world. We're always curious. What format did you buy it on? CD. I remember the big old huge case, the thing that they keep around it, you know, the security case. I remember, you know, holding it through the store and I was so excited. And, um, you know, when you opened it up, there was that drawing, the infamous drawing of this beautiful naked sister with Afro puffs. And I remember my mom was just like, like, what did I just buy her? You know, like, (laughs) what what is this? But um, this record is everything. So. I want to hear about Morgan's experience with this album with Outkast. But before we get there, Rashida, I'm just mm-hmm. wondering, how did this album play to you compared to whatever else that you were listening to at the time? Did it? I mean, you had already stated it was consistent with some aspects of it. Mm-hmm. But to the extent that Outkast, and we'll talk about this in a moment as well, they were really the first major group out of out of Atlanta, especially in that era, mm-hmm. where do you, where did this album fit into your own listening style? If you, if that makes sense. Yeah. So on one hand, I mean, just even coming from, uh, my two musical households coming up on funk and soul, like for one, the live instrumentation in and of itself was just spoke to me, but then also right. it definitely had a very West coast sensibility in more ways than one. Like there was definitely, the funk, not sampled, but that, you know, it's almost like it, they could have been sampling Bootsy or something. And it, you know, and, and it, that's a very, to me, that was very, a very West Coast thing. Mm-hmm. And also it was like, it was just really good hip hop shit. Like prior to that, Midnight Marauders was mm-hmm. like my number one go to. And that was on tape, wear it out, play it over and over and over. Um, so it was, for me, it was Tribe Called Quest, Tupac, um, Boss, you know, Warren G, Snoop, Dre, all that stuff. So Southern Playlistic was like, it was all of that mixed together with a very specifically Southern thing happening, which, like I said, I had just been thrown into that world. And um, I don't know, this record just encompassed, it was familiar, but at the same time, it was also like what I was experiencing in real life at the time. So it just, yeah, it was, I mean, now that I'm really thinking about it, I'm like, damn, it really was a connecting, a powerful connection. And Morgan, you, you had also made that shift from Los Angeles to Atlanta. You were perhaps a little bit older, but of course we're not going to get into how much older. Yeah. Don't get into those specifics, brother. You you know, for you, how was, how was discovering this album, especially coming with LA ears, if you will. When we talk about hip hop in these years, there was such a uh, not not just a brewing um, and evident coastal rivalry, but everyone was trying to represent for their city. Mm-hmm. Everyone mm-hmm. was trying to say something about their city, and if regional pride was at a was at an all time high, what I liked about Outkast was, to me, their sound wasn't as aggressive as the East Coast, and it wasn't as super laid back and gang related as the West Coast. It was somewhere in the middle. And what I was learning about Atlanta, not just living there, but listening to this album, was that there was a Southern lifestyle, not just a set like here, at, like I had grown up in the 60s, and not like crews like Shaolin and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. It was something different. They were selling the South, not just Atlanta. They were selling the Southern lifestyle. And I think for all those reasons, it was one, uh, you know, a big factor in why I think this album and Outkast in general 
really, you know, I missed the boat on them early on. It really mm-hmm. wasn't until I think not even AT Aliens. It wasn't really until Aquemini that I really sat with Outcast. And I think a lot of it was, you know, where I was at in 94 was very much on a New York boom bap tip, even though I was mm-hmm. living in the Bay Area. And even though there are elements of that sound on this album, for the most part, and as both of you have pointed out, there's a lot of West Coast. I mean, it's very clear that mm-hmm. between, um, you know, Andre uh, and Big Boy, as well, of, co- of course, Organized Noise and the folks at LaFace, the Chronic had made and G-Funk in general had made a very strong impression on all of these folks musically, and that just wasn't really the sound I was messing with at the time. And it's really weird to think about now, as prominent as Atlanta music is in hip-hop and just pop music in general, prior to Outkast, the biggest group out of Atlanta within the hip-hop world was Arrested Development, yeah. which was right. a group that I'm not even sure most people realized were from ATL because their biggest song was Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. I, right. folks right. I was about to Tennessee. say, like, oh yeah, they are from Atlanta. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> Exactly. He guided me to Tennessee. Take me to another place. Take me to another land. Make me forget all the hurts. Let me understand your plans. Take me to another. Yeah, so I, you know, this is one of those cases where, as Morgan likes to say, confession is good for the soul. And I confess that I really slept on Outcast early on. And certainly when. When I was, you know, older and came back to this album, I really felt like kicking myself in the butt because, especially songs like "Hootie Who," songs mm. like "Crumbling Herb." I mean, these are very much in the lane of stuff that I would love to listen to now. I mean, this is a debut album. These are, as you pointed out, Morgan, these are nineteen-year-olds, yeah, and they come into the game with this kind of self-assurance, this confidence, and a consistency that is really astonishing. The more you think about it, yep. I mean, they gave me Souls of Mischief vibes too. That's when when I when I talk about like the album being a mishmash of all this shit that I was already into, and it, there was the West Coast vibes, but not just like L.A. vibes. To me, they definitely had a uh, that Oakland kind of like. I mean, sure. maybe not specifically oh, Oakland, not, yeah. but their rapping style reminded me of that. But then again, there was the live instrumentation, but it was funk, but it was gangster. But then it was Southern. So it was definitely like, you know, it was a combination of things. But I definitely I mean, I even got the Bay (laughs) vibes from them from their style, you know, the rapping style. Oh, no question. I think they were saying a lot, too, about Atlanta, because if you think about Atlanta from 1992 to 96, you got a lot of different sounds on there. You also have Criss Cross. You also have TLC. You also have Usher. Mm -hmm. There's just a whole bunch. You also have Joy. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, she. I put her with that, like that whole sound. Yeah, and shout outs to Joy. Like Absolutely. that. That record also put me on to Goody Mob, yep. Big Rube. Mm-hmm. I mean, or mm-hmm. organized Soci- noise. Period. Society Joy, of Soul. Society of Soul. Yeah. Like that. I guess that's why this is such an important album too, because this was a gateway into so many other groups that. I don't know. I don't know if I would have gone off deep into all of that if it wasn't for this album. Yeah. So. One of the first things uh, that I that I remember thinking about this album, about the Atlanta sound, was, damn, everybody can sing. It sure is a lot of singing. <laughs> yeah. That was the first thing I thought. Not really a lot of samples, which was key to yeah. the, at least on this album, which was key to the West Coast sound, right? Mm-hmm. And because of key to the East Coast sound. But a whole lot of singing. And so I, w- I didn't feel like I was just meeting Big Boy and Andre. I felt like I was meeting a family. Yeah. And so it is very much in the ways that we've talked about all the influences, but to me so heavily funkadelic. Totally. That it was just like totally George Clinton and Bootsy, damn it, and the Brides of Funkenstein. It was a whole world. Yeah, that that's how I took it as well, for sure. And again, why it opened up other lanes to explore, like, you know, as far as organized confusion, like, well, well who is Joy? Who, who, who is this guy singing? Oh, CeeLo. Oh, Goody Mob. Like, what is it? Right. And of course, everything followed soon after. But and maybe being in Atlanta, too, maybe we're a little bit more connected to everything else, you know, all the other elements in the album beyond Andre and Big Boy. But, yeah, I mean, it's like you said, yeah, it was like some funkadelic shit. Like, it was, I never really considered it just those two. Yeah. Right? It was a whole, it was a whole thing. 
when you listen to the album for the first time, you got it. You got your plastic case. You didn't purchase and everything. When you get home, do you listen to it cover to cover, or do you get stuck oh, on any yeah. one track? No, I mean now, you know, I was thirteen or fourteen, so this is <laughs> my memory. I don't know exactly how it went down, but I, um, you know, I'm obsessed with music, and the way I've generally done it is from beginning to end. And I think all of us did back in the day, right? Cause it was about the skits. It was about everything in between. I, I don't know. Um, I think people listen to music so differently now, but sure. I recall even with CDs that, and if obviously with tapes, cause it was so hard to fast forward. And yes, it was. Did you just let it play? But with the CD, I mean, yeah, I used to let it, let it play all the way through. And now that I think about it, um, Maybe that wasn't with, with every record, but for sure with this record. Straight through. Um, straight through. Oh, yeah. Illmatic, Midnight Marauders. Those are records that I very clearly remember listening from front to back and knowing it verbatim from front, you know, front to back. Mm-hmm. And not, not skipping. I mean, I definitely have my favorite songs, which maybe I would repeat, but this was definitely a beginning to end album. Like a movie. Right. And, and to that point, it's organized like one. It has an intro. It has a reprise yeah. at the end. We talk a yeah. lot on this show about the importance of sequencing. And not every album necessarily has to have great sequencing. But this is an album where clearly people had put some thought into how this should unfold, what you hear when, and what order. And I think that's one of, to go back to my previous point, it's one of the things I really admire about this as a debut album is is the mm. level of attention that went into thinking those things through. And before I forget, I want to just spin back for a second to something that both of you touched on, which is that how this album was a gateway into this greater scene. And I think what was so exciting, and I don't want to get on some back in the day nostalgia tip, but I do think what was so exciting <laughs> so about hip hop in this particular era is that you had so many key artists and albums who were not simply letting you into their world as individual artists, but were really what we describe now as world building. Mm-hmm. So you think about the ways in which, um, obviously, as we're talking here, how listening to Outcast was a door into Organized Noise, was a door into all of these other affiliate groups, in the same way that listening to Wu-Tang brought you into this this world of Shaolin that people hadn't heard before, right. in the same way that listening to Dell or, or, or uh, Souls of Mischief brought you into the hieroglyphic world of the Bay Area. And sure. that Everywhere that you dip into these things, you're not just dipping into the albums, you're dipping into these fascinating scenes. And I think that was one of the really rich things about this album. And again, to Morgan, to your point, the way in which this really wants to represent itself as a particular vision of the South is something that is, I think, so central to what it is, the the, the central ambition that that Outcast and organized noise had with this effort. I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said and also a way to distinguish themselves from these other regions. It was for Atlanta, Sess in your chest versus LA's chronic. It was Cadillacs in Atlanta versus Impala's out West. It was Mm. collard greens in Atlanta versus whatever bean pies, whatever we were eating out (laughs) here. Right. Um, It was, it was pimps with the, with the, exactly with the snakeskin (laughs) shout out to Nipsey with the snakeskin and the finger waves, you know what I'm saying? As opposed to, it was a way to distinguish themselves, which I don't know about you, but, that that whole, I mean, was it a culture shock for you? Yeah, yeah, because it was a real culture shock for me. Like all, I mean, all of that, you know, dudes with the perms. Not that that didn't exist out here, but not in the way it did no. out there. And, and gold teeth, and then the language. I was like, oh wow, like I don't understand <laughs> what's being said to me right now. Oh shit, like this is really a language barrier. You know, Absolutely, it took me a minute to like catch on to the. I had to ask one of my homegirls when I was listening to, to Soul Food on Goody Mob. I was like, this bumps. I'm not sure what's being said, but <laughs> this is bumping. And she had to break down some things for me. And I was like, oh, she's from Detroit. I was like, OK, all right. OK. But uh, it, wa- it was it was a vision of the South. And then, of course, um, everything that you didn't get in the album, in the track listening, you got in the interludes. And mm-hmm. uh, so those good. were some of my favorite parts of the album. But that's the 90s, as Fonte said when he was on here. Sometimes the interludes were better than some of the songs on the album. So you had to have your interludes, and, and the interludes on here are some of my favorite. Oh, they're so bomb. An outcast is someone who is not considered to be part of the normal world. He's looked at differently. He's not accepted because of his clothes, his hair, his occupation, his beliefs, or his skin color. Now look at yourself. 
Are you an outcast? I know I am. As a matter of fact, fuck being anything else. It's only so much time left in this crazy world. Wake up, niggas, and realize what's going on around you. And I don't, again, now now that I know you were in Atlanta, um, did you feel like, especially the interludes with like the Marta stops and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> were you, I mean, for me, I was just like on Marta, like, this is amazing, with my headphones, like, this is amazing. You yep, know? Like, absolutely. <laughs> yep. And I really I felt the presence of Atlanta in the interlude, Welcome to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I'd like to welcome you to Atlanta. We have clear blue skies over Atlanta, which, by the way, is the home of the Atlanta Hawks, the Braves, and the Falcons. To the far left, you can see the Georgia Dome, which, by the way, still flies a Confederate battle flag. It's like a hood tour of Atlanta with all the landmarks, but with a little bit of that uh, of the political wokeness that I like about this album and Atlanta mm-hmm. in general. If you look to your far right, you can see Decatur. And below you, to the right, is East Point, College Park. Home of the Red Dogs, Black Cats, and Robin Cruz. And home to players, Black, and the motherfucking outcast. We will be back with more of our conversation with our guest DJ Rashida on the seminal album Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music Outcast after a brief word from a couple of great Max Fun podcasts. Don't go anywhere. Hi, I'm Janet Varney, and like many of you, brand new sentient robots excluded, I used to be a teenager. In fact, just about all of my friends were, too, including folks like comedian Danielle Radford. And of course, all of us, you you take on that theater accent, and our teacher would say, no, that isn't how people talk. Right. Don't do the super theater kid accent. It's the worst. But so when I was doing theater in high school, of course, I immediately was talking about being in the theater. (laughs) (laughs) So join me every week on the JV Club podcast, where I speak with my favorite women artists, innovators, and humans as we reminisce about the past and how it led us to becoming who we are. Find it every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Hi, it's me, Paula Poundstone. And it's me, Adam Felber. We have a podcast called Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. It's a comedy podcast where we bring on experts to teach us stuff we need to know. And by the way, the guy who came to tell us what to do when you encounter a bear never showed up. Anyway, it's fun. You are guaranteed laughs in every episode. You can't really guarantee laughs. What if somebody doesn't laugh? We'll get sued. Join us for our next episode where we have an expert in consumer law explain to us how to defend ourselves against one humorless litigious shut-in with enough time on their hands to sue us over our unfulfilled claim of guaranteed laughs in every episode here at MaximumFun.org. The Cat of the Week is Mabel from Green Bank, West Virginia. We are back here on Heat Rocks talking about Southern Playalistic Cadillac music by Outkast from 1994, celebrating its 25th anniversary this spring with our special guest, DJ Rashida. What's up? <laughs> let's get into some of these tracks, though, because we got 17, including, including the interlude. So let's get, in, get all the way into those. One of my favorite tracks, I mean, I'm going to say this about 30 million times because everything on here is fire. <laughs> But one of the things when I when I said earlier that we get an introduction uh, to the South, to the Southern lifestyle, we also get an introduction to Southern diction and Southern vernacular. So ain't no thing but a chicken wing is something that's specifically Southern. So black <laughs> and so Southern. That thing is just classic black slang. Mm-hmm. But I love it. It means a lot of things. And of course, we could do a whole other show on on interpreting black, you know, <laughs> black slang. But basically, it's for I always grew up as it's an answer to what's going on, what's what's, what's the state of the situation, and you just say, "Ain't no thing but a chicken wing." I called the why because it's time to take the street. So if you ain't got the vertebrae, you're big enough nuts be trees. I'm ready to wear them up like cereal. Just the international player coming through your stereo. This is one of my favorite tracks too, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you like about this this track? The track in and of itself, like that beat. I I remember that spoke to me. Um, but like you were saying, you know the the singing element, right? The, which I think also is a southern thing because really, you know, you listen to, to 
to that southern vernacular. You listen to that that accent, and it to me it always sounded like singing. Rashida, is this the fire track for you off this album? The one track that is absolutely always going to get you juiced? I well, it is one of it is a track that will always get me juiced, but it is not my one track on this album. Ain't no thing, players ball, crumbling herb, Ooh. and hootie who probably. But then, I mean, but then it's even hard to say because I, <laughs> I love the interludes too. Oh, interludes. Funky Ride, which is basically a society of soul track. But like the fact that that's on the out, it's like just singing, yeah. you know, it's, I mean, that's basically, it's basically just a society of soul track. It could have been, you know, one of their albums. It could have been. Man, yeah, this album, it's hard to say what's what's the one. But Ain't No Thing, definitely. Player's Ball, definitely. Funky Ride. Oh, wait, Get Up, Get Out, Ooh. definitely. Crumlin' Herb, definitely. Um, and Hootie Who. It's, it's 400 hits on here. <laughs> It is four. There are four hundred jams on this on this album. Um, I I love that. Even the songs about struggle have singing around them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and ain't no thing is one of them. Mm-hmm. Like it's gonna be okay, but this is, we are struggling, but ain't no thing but a chicken wing. Yeah, I mean when you think about it too, it's a hard track. I mean that beat. It's hard. It's a hard track. And again, and then the lyrics. You know, it's it's gangster. It's like, and like you said, it's speaking to, you know, that part of specifically Atlanta and Southern life but not glorifying it and and the singing like you said there's some there's like a soft edge to it with the the melody and the singing on top of these kind of hardcore elements um yeah i love i've never thought about this before i'm like this is this is yeah when i got to atlanta i didn't know that many people my father lived there and uh, and a and a young lady that i had grown up with i sort of went to clark on a fluke that's another show another story but one of my first experiences there the girl that i knew said you know you, you want to go to church tonight and i said yeah you know i grew up churchy she said well, okay she said we're going to have to dress up i knew that and she was church of god in christ i knew so she said i'm going to come pick you up and come come pick you up and uh, i said okay all right so i'm dressed up g'd up and i'm ready to go we pull in to the church thick in the parking lot somewhere in decatur we get up inside the church, and I'm like, okay, listen, you might have should have told me that this was a funeral, okay? Now I see why you wanted me to dress up, because there's a casket in the front, <laughs> what? right? And I'm wow. pretty open-minded. I might have still accompanied you to this situation, but you, you might have could have you might have like, told me this. Wow. And then when I get there, it's a young dude. Um, mm. it's, it's, it's some sort of violence that's happened to him. Um, there's no money involved in the service, so he's dressed. He's not even dressed up. He's got on street clothes. He's got on some jeans and something that looks like a Pendleton. And there's no choir. They're playing a record on a small record player. They're playing Mahalia Jackson, and it's you can hear all the crum- crumble. And it's sort of a shock to my whole heretofore. My first three weeks in Atlanta in Atlanta have been glorious, and you got the Southern hospitality and the yes, ma'am, and da 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 da, shouty, and then. We get here, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, well, damn, Atlanta is just like Compton. I, I was just about to say, yeah. And so I, th- it always reminds me, this song always comes up because it's like, this is in and around us. Don't get fooled. We got all that other stuff. We got the peaches. We got Varsity Junior. Mm-hmm. We got, you know what I'm saying? Oh, Varsity Junior. Shout out to Varsity Junior. I mean, what? <laughs> you just took me back with that. Good Lord. We got the Braves, but listen, we got this other thing, so... Anyway, that's my that's my Atlanta scary story. That's that's deep. You know, it's funny because when we were talking earlier about like what, you know, part of what spoke to me and what connected me with this album. <clears throat> I wasn't going to go deep, but since we're going deeper, we out here, um, you know, one of the reasons that I got moved to Atlanta. Well, my father took me there. It was just he and I that moved to Atlanta. And um, it was because there was a lot of. uh just a lot of violent, crazy shit going on um, at home and um, shootouts 
Um, When I was 13, there was a shootout in my house. And then a few years later, my sister ended up getting shot. And um, I just, I connected with that in this music. Like, and again, it had all these, it had the soulful element. It had the funk element, you know, and then it was very strangely Southern, but in a good way because I was there and that was exciting. But again, they were also addressing um, what is the black experience in, um, in any major cities in America. Um, And to me that, you know, that it, Familiar. It, spoke to, it was familiar, but not glorifying it. Not glorifying it. Kind of. I mean, speaking on it from a place of like, yeah, I am strapped. Yeah, like, you know, step up if you want some. But in a weird way, to me, it wasn't it wasn't even as dark as like I would say, you know, parts of like the chronic were or something. Right. right. That was to me scarier than that. Like this just was more familiar. But it was that with all of these other fantastic elements mixed in that. Absolutely. uh you know that I was also into so this album it definitely it it just it spoke to me in so many different ways and now I now talking about it I'm like what now I see how it did speak it it it, how it could go beyond the south too and speak to so many of us you know Mm. whether you were familiar or not it spoke to the black experience in some areas and what and and in one track that I think represents us really well is claiming true Got him. Man, fuck that fuck ass nigga, man. He deserved it. Hey, young blunts. Hey, think it's gonna end like that. Man, don't start it. Hey, man. Just loke him and smoke him. Hey, man. Trying to prove you ain't no punk. Penitentiary full of niggas thought they weren't punks. Look at the fear in your eyes. I can feel it. You can't feel shit. Uh, The intro, at least, is, I think, a commentary on toxic masculinity before we had, before we were saying things like toxic mm-hmm. masculinity. It's trying to talk this dude, you know, down from the ledge of doing something. And he's like, oh, you don't understand. He's like, you know, and that's, that to me is the social consciousness part of this. Like, oh, I do. Man. It's about p- the penitentiary. It's about what, what the result of toxic masculinity. Crumbling herb. Niggas killing niggas they don't understand. It's the master plan. Yeah. Like. Come on, like, yeah, think, think (laughs) about it. Yeah, all this shit is funky. The beats are tight, but I mean, they were really, they were, they were dropping some real conscious truths and things to make you think. And especially, you know, if this was a part of your soundtrack and you are riding around and and in that world and you know, uh, potentially, you know, putting yourself in situations, situations, you know this would already speak to you just, you know, beat wise and musically and, and whatever. But in that, like they, they were not leaving out, <laughs> you know, a guide for, for, or not even a guide, but just the, the, the reality of what it is. Like, no, this is bigger than you. This is bigger than the beef you got with your brother over here. This is, um, this is a master plan. Yep. Better be ready when they roll up in your nest and sink one in your chest and you're gone. Up out of here for good. Y'all be bobbing back and forth to let me know you understood. Yeah, what's up? Oliver, you always, you're always the first one to ask us, Oliver, but I got to ask you now. I'm turning the tables on my dude. What is your, what is your fire track on this album? Tough one because I was I, I was about to get us into the favorite moment, but I'll, okay. I'll come back to that in just a, in just a second because I do think in in really going back and re-listening to this, I think it has to be Crumlin Herb for me, and it's just the vibe of it, especially the where I'm at in my life now. I don't know if that would have necessarily been the song that you know when I was in my early twenties, I probably would have gravitated a little bit more to let's say. Hootie who because of the drums on there. Sure. But but the vibe okay. of, of Crumbling Herb is so much it speaks to what I like listening to these days. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is I just remember from back then because I was starting to write for Herb magazine, URB, right? Uh, around this time. Just because the ways in which the name of the magazine often got confused with like H E R B, <laughs> that that's the, the song title here. It always brings me back to that era of Herb magazine and then Herb as you know as as marijuana and all these things. And so I think Kremlin Herb also taps on some some conscious level with my memories of of the magazine and, and writing for them at the mm-hmm. time as well. Um, but I think as as all of both of you are pointing out, I mean, it's so 
it's hard to pick like the best song on an album that has so many different heaters on there. Mm-hmm. And to come back to like the favorite moment, I think the fact that both of you are talking about, you know, these specific lyrics that really have stayed with you a quarter century later. To me, my favorite moment on this album comes um, near the very beginning. It's the transition from the Peaches intro into the beginning of my intro to let you know. Time and time again, see, I be thinking about that future. Back in the day when we were slaves, I bet we was some cool ass names, but now we won't just let my nigga back. Now, normally. As a Chinese American, when I hear a gong sound, I get a little bit triggered. Mm-hmm. But this is one case where I'm gonna let I'm I'm all about the gong here because <laughs> it's it just Powerful. sets up this anticipation, right? You have you have this album where it opens with this woman talking and just kind of leading you through, and you're not really sure what's gonna come next. But then the gong hits, and then that like bomb whistle drops in, and then you have Andre just from jump spitting lines like back in the days when we were slaves. I bet we were some cool ass, mm, right? Right. And automatically you're like, wow, what is it that I'm listening to? And I think that moment, like those 10 <laughs> seconds in which it happens, every time I hear it, it's just like, wow, this is such an amazing way to get us into the album, get us into the group, get us into all of these things. So how about for each of you, is there a favorite moment that you can pinpoint? I mean, all the the interludes and then the way they go into the next song to me are mm. magical that what you peaches into my intro like that's magical um we were talking about what is uh, welcome to atlanta welcome to atlanta into southern playlist i mean that is and again too being there i think made it just extra special and too because well i suppose if you from there it's special to just hear these places called out but then being new there and being on the marta and like you know discovering these new places and then also hearing it i mean yeah to me those are those are i guess that's what makes those interludes uh special but i mean all of them all of them i think probably one of my favorite moments because there's so many but i have to go back to the interludes because to me they yielded so much Flim Flam is one of my favorites because it is short and sweet. It is CeeLo trying to sell some 14 karat gold. <laughs> He's trying to pass it off for $80. He keeps saying this. I don't need I'm, I'm straight. No, check game $80, bro. 14 karat gold is what I'm trying to tell you now. Look, now look. Check it out. Man, what nigga, you trying to play me some fool or something? I this said 14 real, motherfucking K. Right, real, folks in the bank, Buckhead, man. Come on, man. Come on. Go on, nigga. Man, my, Oh, that's a motherfucking pill. Nigga, what's up? And why it's precious to me listening listening now is I think I was holding my breath thinking there's so many interludes like this on other albums where the person doesn't survive. Mm-hmm. And that it ends in some joke about them getting a shot fired at them. And that, you know, he's like, okay. You know, then it becomes like, I'm just trying to make some money. I'm not even really trying to hustle you. I'm just trying to make some money. Yeah, I'm trying to sell you this bootleg, whatever, but I'm trying to make some money. And then it goes right into Get Up, Get Out, which is then CeeLo as the elder statesman. You need to get up, get out, and get something. Don't spend all your time trying to get high. You need to get up, get out, and get something. How will you make it if you never even try? You need to get up, get out, and get something. Because you and I got to do for you and I. He goes from trying to get hustle you for this money, for this gold piece, to the elder statesman. And I think for me, it, um, those those three tracks back to back, Flim Flam, Into Get Up, Get Out, Into True Dat, are very telling. Because you go from the hustle to Goody Mob giving you, you know, whatever his version of getting your life together. Then you go into True Dat, which to me outlines the philosophy of Outkast. Operating under the crooked American system too long. What is an outcast? It's just very telling about the band. It's a little tease of what Goody Mob's about to be. And CeeLo is the older statesman, elder statesman, which always reminded me of the one person in your family that was trying to talk to you about what was really going on, telling you to not eat pork. You need to start thinking. Tapping the side of the head like Cornell West. Your brothers need to start thinking. That's how CeeLo came off to me. So those three moments, flim flam, get up, get out, and, and true that to me. That's my favorite part of the album. 
So I ask this sometimes uh, on the show. I ask of our guests if there was some you know unicorn in your life that had never heard of Outcast mm-hmm. and or hadn't heard this album, and you had to pick a song on here to introduce them to the band, either their philosophy, their style, whatever, Atlanta. Which song on here do you think says it best? Hmm. A song from this album that would really encompass Outkast. I I mean, I want to say, I want to do a twofer and say Player's Ball and Player's Ball Reprise, (laughs) but I know that... And Players Ball reprise because then it has more of the Society of Soul and sure. kind of mm-hmm. Goody Mob mixed in there. But um, I guess I, I guess I would say Crumble and Herb them because it's got everybody. I think everybody's on there, but that's really hard mm-hmm. to say. It's hard to say. If I can just add something real quick that I came across in in prepping is uh, apparently. Players Ball was intended to be a novelty Christmas song, right. and the original version had sleigh bells on it. And I'm just trying to imagine oh, that song as a Christmas jam. Now, I'm not saying it wouldn't work. I'm just kind of glad that whoever came up with that was like, actually, maybe we should just go with this as a normal song as opposed to like a holiday jam. I mean, it still has the bells on it. It still has the sleigh kind of bell, that sound. I mean... Wait, wait, was <laughs> you listen back? To was it. Outkast gonna put out a Christmas album? It was for LaFace, I think. Oh, it was okay. Like a Christmas compilation. Okay, wow. <laughs> All right then. I mean, I mean, you would never know, though, right? Like no. the subject matter, the be everything. I mean, even hearing it with the kind of. I mean, I feel like I guess we have to listen back to, it, but I feel like those bells are kind of on there. Yeah, play that, play that, Christian. Yeah, yeah, they're there. there, Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, I never took that as a Christmassy anything until I heard, and I, you know, I I heard about that, you know, in the past, I don't know, in the past 10 years or so. Um, But it's, there's like no, I don't put any, you know, like there's no connect with Christmas anything. Right, Right, right. I'm also glad that you brought up the Players Ball reprise, which ends the album, because despite the fact that this is a fairly long album, you know, you got 17 tracks and all. With that reprise, it's so good that it's it's one of those uh, cases where I just want it to be longer. And it's not mm-hmm. like it's crazy short, but once you get into it, I just feel, I felt genuine disappointment when it ends because I'm like, <laughs> oh, is that it? Like it doesn't go on for another five minutes because I would have been perfectly happy to listen to that for much, much longer. I wanted to mention too because we didn't get a chance to, to mention it, but just in the, in the way of trivia, you know, Outcast won Best New Artist for this and got booed. I think at the Source Awards, it was the ones with the whole Suge and the bad boy. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And they got up and you know, you know, Andre. All he said was, "The South got something to say." I'll never forget it. Yeah, <laughs> South got, got something to say. say. He was mad too. But it's like this though. I'm tired of folks. You know what I'm saying? The closed-minded folks, you know what I'm saying? It's like we got a demo tape and nobody want to hear it, but it's like, this the South got something to say. That's all I got to say. But, you know, now that now that we can see the album's brilliance, you know, all those people booing were like... That's crazy to they think, didn't right? Know. Wow. They didn't know. They were sleeping. I wasn't asleep, though, so I'm I, my conscience is clear. <laughs> right, same. Okay, same. I knew what this album was. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to describe this album, Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music, if you had to describe this album in three words... What would they be? Southern, <laughs> funky. Um. Oh man, I can't do just three. I mean, it was what I was saying earlier. It's very southern. It's very funky. It's a little gangster, yes. and it's conscious. You know, four things. <laughs> you can have four. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. <laughs> That will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, DJ Rashida. Is there anything that you're working on right now? Another tour that you're gearing up for? Anything along those lines? Um, Right now, I have some very dope passion projects that I'm excited about. Um, One of them is Rotations Mix Show on Vimeo. Um, My girl, DJ Siren, and myself 
decided to just start recording our jam sessions um, as kind of like an outlet and also just to play shit that, you know, we don't necessarily always have particular nights or, you know, gigs where we can play this stuff. So, um, so yeah, we started a mix show and it's amazing. You can check it out on Vimeo, um, Rotations Mix Show. And then I'm also doing um, a, it's like a cinema themed dinner um, with music uh, with my girlfriend Crystal who is a chef and we actually she was uh, one of Prince's chefs and that's how we met and um, she has this beautiful house in South LA and yeah we're hosting dinners there and I actually I tripped because I saw that you guys did something on one car Y on Chungking Express and yeah one of the thematic themes that first one we did was Chunking Express and um, we're also going to do Black Mm. Orpheus Mm. and the next one we're doing is Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke it's going to be a cannabis infused um, meal (laughs) Uh, and those tickets are available on Airbnb that's where we're running it through Um, but uh, yeah passion projects that's that's that sounds that's awesome and where can people find out more about you online um my website djrashida.com or instagram um i'm trying to get better at updating <laughs> more often and also even just putting out there what i'm up to it's not my strong point but um but eventually all the information makes it on there even if it's after the fact but i yeah but for for these things they'll be for rotations and for it's called cinesol dine for those two things there will always be um something saying hey this is about to come out or this is about to happen um yeah if you liked Southern Playlistic Cadillac music, then we would suggest that you should check out the following. And I'll start is I would recommend another album from 1994, which is The Roots, Do You Want More? A lot of people think of this as their as a group solo debut, but technically that was Organics, which came out, I think, a year or two before. But Do You Want More was their major label debut. And for most people outside of Philadelphia, it was their it was their introduction to The Roots. And what I'm associating this with the Outcast album around is just a, the use of live instrumentation. Mm-hmm. And I think prior to 94, we thought mostly of hip hop having been in a very heavy, heavy sample era. And what Roots and Organized Noise did was to show that live musicians could not necessarily substitute, but basically could add another dimension to how hip hop music's music could sound. So I think that's an important connection between the two. And then likewise, in the same way that Outkast helped to put ATL on the map, the Roots were one of many groups of that era that were bringing the attention back to Philadelphia after a time in which both LA and New York had been on top. I think this was an era in which Philly was beginning to come back into that conversation. I wanted to recommend something uh, that would, I think, put you in the spirit of Southern Playlistic Cadillac music. It would be two things. The first would be Bootsy Collins stretching out in Bootsy's rubber band. When we talk about this album, we have been talking about, we spent a lot of time talking about the funkiness and how Parliament Funkadelic um, reminiscent it was. It reminds me of this 1976 album. It reminds me of a lot of the songs in tempo, in tone, in the funkiness, in that sort of syrupy, slow singing style uh, that is present on this album. That would be one. Second of all, I'd encourage you strongly to listen to Society of Souls' brainchild mm. album from from the year after, is 1995. And that's, of course, Big Rube, uh, Esperanza, Esperanza, and Organized Noise, which is, of course, Ray Murray and, and Rico Wade. Um, it's got all that. It, it sounds like if this album was instrumental only, if Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music had no raps on it, it would be Brainchild Society of Soul. Sexy, slow, mood music that sounds a lot like the track Funky Ride from this album. For you, no one can do it better. 
You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wang, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits engineers and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Max Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. We also want to thank our social media fans and family, including the following. Mary Bork at Mary Bork Comic. I hope that's Bork. Max B at The Max B. Also want to shout out Marcus Moore. Want to thank Art Don't Sleep. Also want to thank Zabari Ben A. Bear. That's nice. Want to thank YFMNE. Thank you so much. Want to thank Spartanburger. Also want to shout out Amy Rushton. Thanks so much. Want to thank Super Busy at Ashy Behavior B, Mark Rumminger, Warm Warmer Disco. That's one of my favorite um, tweezies. Thank you so much. That's such a cool name. Husker Donut, Mark Richardson, Ian Mathers, um, Simon Goring, And also, finally, we want to thank This Week in Podcasts. We do so appreciate the tweezies and the retweezies. One last thing, here's a teaser for next week's episode featuring Vicky Toback and Joseph Patel talking to us about one of our faves, gang stars, Hard to Earn. This album felt like it was a confluence of everything that was happening in New York Mm. at the time. It was, you know... Brooklyn, it was local, it was um, the jazz samples, Um, it was the clubs, right? It was like, you know, all these records got broken in clubs. Um, It Mm. was the digging culture, it was the freestyle, like, cypher culture, that all Mm -hmm. that stuff that you really had to, like, you felt it in the street, Mm. you know? And, um, And just that time, you know, that year, 94, I wanted to pick this album because it felt like a confluence of not just musically but culturally. Right. Um, and from like, a, you know, when you listen to the lyrics of what was just happening in the culture, I mean, you had a lot, I mean, I hate saying like political rap, but just really highly intelligent, you know, lyrics and the exploration of what was happening in real life in right. New York. Right.